0: Welcome to IWG Radio, the place to be for all of your wellness
1: needs. Hey there, Dr. Nicole from Integrative Wellness Group in Belmar, New Jersey. Hi, Dr. Nick here. Clinical nutritionist Brooke. I am Dr. Kyle. You are listening to IWG Radio, the place to be for all of your wellness needs
0: is Brooke and I am the clinical nutritionist at Integrative Wellness Group and I'm sitting here with Dr. Nicole today and we are going to discuss food allergies and food sensitivities with you. So I'm going to introduce Dr. Nicole have her give you a brief introduction on what functional medicine is and uh, her program here at Integrative Wellness Group.
1: Hey there, so um, we are both uh, practitioners that are uh, doing functional medicine here at Integrative Wellness Group and what functional medicine is is really just looking at the whole person in order to figure out the exact root cause for the symptoms that they are currently dealing with. So through that, it's definitely utilizing a lot more elaborate testing, um, and then obviously taking a very uh, in-depth consultation and taking into consideration everything from birth into childhood, teenager, and as an adult, and taking any type of traumas, hospitalizations, medication use, and all of those things into consideration to really understand someone as a whole to get them the best results and really get them well and keep them well.
0: So today we wanted to discuss food allergies and food sensitivities, and we wanted to bring this up because it's definitely something that's been gaining in popularity over the last five, 10, even 15 years or so, and the rates are continuing to rise. And a lot of people think that food allergies start when you're a child, and that's not necessarily true. We're seeing a lot of adults these days that are coming in with these kind of um, delayed onset or latent kind of allergies that they're not necessarily having this anaphylactic, what we know as kind of the throat closing response, but they're having more of a type of sensitivity that maybe they're having digestive problems or they're experiencing skin problems. So why don't you go ahead and explain to us kind of the difference between a true food allergy and a food sensitivity?
1: Yes, definitely. Um, You know, there's two different categories and there's one of the biggest things that we'll get more into is the fact that when you have a food allergy or a food sensitivity, it's not solely just a gut issue or a digestive issue, it is also an immune system issue and there's a lot of different parameters in the immune system and there's a a lot of different responses that can happen in the immune system and like you mentioned Brooke there is that delayed onset response and there's also that immediate onset response which is something that if somebody eats the peanut you know the throat closes up and you have usually have to um, use some type of medical intervention to obviously decrease that response and you know not have the person uh, be at harm but there's a lot of other subtle changes that will happen in the event that somebody is having a food sensitivity and not a full-blown allergic reaction and those different types of um, reactions that can happen look like maybe bloating or congestion or a little bit of phlegm maybe after having ice cream or um, post nasal drip or gas or burping or indigestion heartburn. And I know that these things are we're kind of thought to or or we're trained to think, oh, they happen to everybody. I ate the wrong thing. Oh, it's not a big deal. And in reality, that's your body's warning signals to say this food is not working well for your system and again it's not always necessarily that you're having even a food allergy or food sensitivity sometimes it's just because what you're eating is so poor quality that the the body almost perceives it as being a foreign antigen like not necessarily thinking that it's actually food just because there's so many preservatives in our food but regardless over time keep eating those foods that are you know just high in preservatives high in chemicals our body will start to develop an immune reaction and that immune reaction being delayed onset might be within three hours it might be within three days so you might be a little bit constipated or you might get some burping or you might get some bloating it's different for everybody but those are those warning signs saying that your body is is not is having a reaction to that type of food
0: And I think it's interesting that you bring up that some of these symptoms are really common things like bloating and gas and belching. And like you said, those are almost perceived in our society to be somewhat normal. Mm -hmm. Um, And the fact is that there, there could be something underlying and there could be something else going on. And it could over the long term essentially wreak more havoc if you don't really find these foods, isolate these foods.
1: I, and I think that's an important point to make because we have a lot of people that call in and they ask, you know, do you do food allergy testing? And yes, we do, but it's not always my first uh, line of testing that I utilize. Because if you are the person that is dealing with um, stomach aches after eating certain things, or you're dealing with the burping, the bloating, the constipation, you're dealing with any of those uh, delayed onset types of reactions, or even the immediate onset reactions that, you know, you ate something and had an immediate response if it was inflammation, if you kind of, you know, if you puffed up or your throat closed or your throat got really itchy, regardless of the type of reaction that you're having, there's a reason why it's happening. And typically that comes back to your gut health because your gut health has a huge impact on your immune system as well. So you have to take into consideration, let's look to see where this root cause might be coming from and if we can rule out that there is nothing happening in the immune system and there is nothing happening in the gut, then we can actually do the food allergy testing. But honestly, that's never the case. You have the food allergies because of something called leaky gut, which is something that we'll go into explaining. And the leaky gut stems from the overabundance of pathogens or yeast or bacteria or things that should not be in the gut, but they are present. And they're kind of just wreaking havoc and causing damage.
0: So it's almost like a vicious cycle that we have this bacterial overgrowth It's kind of allowing some leaky gut to happen, and then from there, we're just creating more bacteria and yeast and kind of further worsening the problem. Mm -hmm. So why don't you kind of explain, since we're talking about leaky gut, the difference between developing food allergies as a child versus as an adult? Okay.
1: Um, And I think this is important because a lot of times we can think that it's genetic, especially if our parents um, or mother or father, that they're dealing with... Food allergies as well, or they have a bad stomach, etc. So we might think, like, okay, I'm kind of doomed. I'm going to have issues with these foods. And what happens, and this is really important, is through the birth of the child, mom will pass her gut microbiome, meaning the probiotics, all the good stuff in the gut but mom will also pass whatever is bad that's in her gut currently. So if that is bacterial overgrowth or yeast overgrowth, that is passed from mom to baby. And the reason being is because your immune system is cased in or housed in your gut. So in order to start this child off with having you know, some type of immune defenses to protect them into the world, then mom will pass, you know, her gut microbiome to the baby. So if there was bad stuff that was present in the gut, then that means that that child is gonna be kind of born with an altered immune system, an altered gut microbiome, which is going to lead them to have sensitivities. And then that can turn into full-blown food allergies. So it's again it's not necessarily genetic but it is going to be something that is passed and it just can kind of lead to a cascade of digestive issues but also immune system issues later on. So that is something that is important to understand about children. And then, you know, for adults you might have been fine your whole life and then you started to develop these you know, gastrointestinal issues or started to develop these food sensitivities or even full-blown food allergies. And There's a couple of reasons for this, but first of all, our food industry has changed pretty dramatically. So with all of the different preservatives and chemicals that are in the food, that is going to be something that kind of starts this process of what we call the leaky gut. And it's primarily because these foods are foreign to our body and they are damaging the gut lining. So when you eat food, the food goes into you, the mouth goes into the stomach and then it starts to move its way through the gastrointestinal system. So as this food moves through, normally what will happen is that from the gut, your nutrients, calcium, magnesium, phosphorus, all the good stuff will pass from your gastrointestinal system out into the blood and it gets carried wherever it needs to go. That's normal. So to an extent, our gut is supposed to be a little bit leaky, but it's what we call permeable. It allows the good stuff to pass through. So if you start to have a lot of chemicals in your diet, preservatives in your diet, you know, herbicides, pesticides, all the things that we get exposed to, then your gut lining becomes damaged. And now it goes from being a little bit permeable to being full on leaky and this allows for things that would normally never get out of the gut it allows it to now get into your bloodstream so if you are say eating gluten bread pasta whatever um, you eat those foods it kind of goes through your system and now these little gluten particles can pass from your gut into your bloodstream and normally it should never get into your bloodstream so your immune system goes hey who is that that's not that guy's not supposed to be here attack him so normally what your immune system does is it creates a memory it says if you see that guy again he's bad make sure to get rid of him so over time you keep eating the gluten because maybe you're not necessarily having any symptoms you're kind of like yeah i'm fine it keeps getting into your bloodstream your immune system keeps attacking and then that starts to turn into a full-blown food allergy or i'm sorry food sensitivity which can then turn into a full-blown food allergy so it's really the fact that your immune system is doing what it's supposed to do. It's creating the memory of these different food particles because they're foreign and they're not supposed to be in the bloodstream, but this will start to create that cascade of issues with you know either the food sensitivities or the food allergies. So I like that you brought up gluten because that is one,
0: especially practicing, we see tons of gluten allergies and tons of people who have a sensitivity to gluten. Gluten is a really common allergy, dairy, there's a couple of other really common allergies. Mm-hmm. Can you give us a little bit of an explanation as to why some of those things pose such a risk versus, let's say, vegetables or fruits?
1: Yeah. So, like I mentioned before, uh, the food industry has changed pretty dramatically over the past 20 years. And one of the things that um, has been found is that wheat in general, which is, you know, gluten, the wheat is now what you call hybridized. So they've kind of taken various strains of wheat and they've, you know, kind of combined them and genetically altered them to making, um, you know, this very specific strain of wheat. But in reality, the, this type of wheat is not um, native to to nature. It's It's not something that has been found in nature. It's been kind of Chemically engineered in a lab and then planted to grow. So, regardless, um, you know, if you have the gluten issue or not, with gluten sensitivity, the gluten allergy, most people will have an inflammatory response by eating it because, again, it's not something from nature, it's from a lab, and our bodies don't really know what to do with it. It doesn't really look at it as being food and being nourishment. And going into the dairy, the dairy has just, it's just so different than what it was between the pasteurization, the uh, homogenization. It's just overly processed, it's overly heated. The dairy is chock full of all of these different hormones and pesticides and all of these things that these animals are getting exposed to and in reality, we can't really tolerate the proteins that are in cow milk in the first place because they're not made for us. They're made for a baby cow. So that's one part of it, but then there is the other part of it of, you know we're kind of degrading all of the beneficial nutrients by the homogenization and the pasteurization of the milk. So any benefit that we might have received from the milk with the calcium and the vitamin D and all of that, that's pretty much stripped away and when you see your when you look at the milk and it says, you know, chock full of calcium and chock full of vitamin D, that's not because it's naturally occurring. That's because it was added in a synthetic form. And in reality, your body can't really absorb that very well. So if you think like I need to have dairy and I need to have my milk because I need it for calcium, this is kind of an interesting tidbit, is most dairy products create an inflammatory response in the body. So what that means is that your blood, if if you have a pool, you can kind of relate to pH. So pH can either be alkaline or acidic, but typically your blood pH always wants to be kind of right in the middle, it wants to be neutral. So if you eat a bunch of processed foods or you eat acidic, uh, or foods that create an acidic environment, which dairy is one of those, then what happens is your body says, how can I fix this because If the blood is acidic, it's kind of a breeding ground for getting sick and and having a lot of like pain and inflammation and swelling. So your body will naturally pull calcium from the bone and put it into the bloodstream to create a buffering. And that will then push your blood back to being neutral. So what that can create is osteopenia, then osteoporosis. This is over obviously a very long period of time, But also, if you have a bunch of calcium free-floating in your blood, it makes you more at risk for kidney stones. And I think that's a really important thing for people to understand because they automatically think, I have kidney stones, I need to stay away from the calcium. Chances are you don't have enough calcium, and all your body is doing is pulling it from your bones, putting it into your bloodstream, and then your kidneys are like, holy crap, I don't know what to do with all this calcium, and then you're getting calcium stones.
0: I think that's a really important point because... I know even working with weight loss and people that, that are always, you know, trying to stay on top of their diet, trying to eat healthy, one of the biggest things, and we're branded by the society with these got milk commercials, is that we have to have milk. We have to the government regulations are you have to have three glasses of milk a day. And the fact of the matter is that, as Dr. Nicole mentioned, that milk could actually be potentially harming us more than helping us. And a lot of people are not aware that calcium comes from many other sources. So we get calcium from leafy greens. There's calcium in certain beans. So there's a lot of other sources of calcium, not just milk. Yeah.
1: It's just the leafy greens are not always the easiest to get down for people. (laughs) Um, but the leafy greens actually have an astronomical amount of calcium in relation to milk. So that is really one of your best sources.
0: And going back to talking about the dairy allergy, I always thought it interesting when I was in school. They told us a statistic that over seventy percent of people have a, a dairy allergy or an intolerance to dairy. So that's a pretty big number. I mean, we're talking about if you're in a room with four people, three of you have a sensitivity to dairy, mm-hmm. and then you know we we have this society and the media
1: pushing that we need to have more dairy. So it's kind of an interesting mm-hmm. turn of events. Yeah. And, and that's one of the things that I really um, consider when, like I mentioned, I don't always jump into just doing the food allergy testing right away because I want to test somebody's gut to see if there is something that might be causing the food sensitivities in the first place. But another thing that I do recommend is cutting out those major foods that are known to be either hybridized or they have changed over time or they are foods that are known to be inflammatory and gluten and dairy do fall under that category. And most people, once they cut those out and then they start to maybe take the right supplements to resolve whatever their gut issues are, those food sensitivities or, or those digestive issues that they were dealing with with eating certain meals, they go away. So. I would say in only maybe 15% of my clientele, I actually end up having to do the food allergy testing. And the reason why I usually have to do it is because these are people that were maybe born with that unhealthy microbiome, and they've been dealing with this leaky gut for 20, 30, 40 years. And they have developed so many sensitivities because their immune system has been in overdrive for such a long period of time. And that's when we have to just make sure You know, it's not that they have to cut these foods out forever, they have to cut the foods out for a period of time to allow their leaky gut to heal and also to keep their inflammation down because inflammation is also something that limits your healing capabilities. So with food allergy testing, what type of test do you typically do? So with food allergy testing, like I mentioned before um, in the beginning of the podcast is there is that immediate onset and then there's delayed onset. So if some of you are listening and you are thinking, oh, I've had food allergy testing before and it cleared me and I was totally fine. So the most traditional type of testing that will be covered by insurance is IgE. IgE is that immediate onset testing though. So again, if you eat the peanut and your throat closes up, that is going to give you a positive result for the peanut on the IgE test. But if you're the person who is kind of like, I don't know what's bothering me, there's no rhyme or reason to it, then that is most likely because you're dealing with the delayed onset. And the delayed onset is typically tested by what you call IgG. And IGG, unfortunately, is typically not gonna be covered by your insurance and you typically have to pay out of pocket for it through LabCorp or Quest. And it gets pretty pricey because they do $37 per food. So in reality, you know, you, to test five foods, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. You really wanna kinda of have a quite an array. Um, so I choose to usually not go down that road because it is very pricey and The testing is not always very accurate as well. Um, The best test that I have found that I like to use is by Cyrix Labs. Cyrix Labs is a fantastic company because they are very geared towards helping people properly diagnose things like leaky gut. They also have different types of testing that really helps to give you the most comprehensive test for something like celiac disease. Um, And the other thing that they they do in the food allergy world is they do a test that looks at um, not even just cooked food, but cooked food, raw foods, and then food proteins. So you might be someone who comes up positive for raw garlic, but cooked garlic is actually okay for you. So it's something that I feel like helps people a lot to have a lot of clarity around what they can and cannot eat in their healing process because, again, you could kind of drive yourself a little crazy if you're just like, if it comes up that, boom, garlic, boom, dairy, boom, gluten, and you don't realize that there is actually, you know, it the food composition and, and the molecules change based off of is it cooked, is it raw, and then also um, certain types of food proteins that you want to avoid in certain things as well. So it gives you a little bit more clarity around like what you can and cannot eat, again, through your healing process. But based off of your food allergy panel, it doesn't mean that you're never eating those foods again. It just means that you need to avoid them for a period of time as your body heals once your body is healed, your leaky gut is healed, your, any yeast or bacterial overgrowth is cleared out, then you should be able to resume a balanced diet, but again, really trying to avoid those foods that are known to be inflammatory and known to be you know, hybridized, which would be the gluten and the dairy. That's kind of just, if you did it sporadically, probably not the biggest deal, but um, to think like, I went through this gut healing phase and this whole process, and now I feel great, so let me go back to eating bagels every morning, you're gonna kind of reverse what you've, you've done because again, those foods are so damaging.
0: I like that you brought up garlic as an example because I think we talked a lot about a lot of common allergies like gluten and corn and dairy and those types of things, but I think a lot of people don't know a whole lot about different foods that can be causing a reaction. So when we talk about the delayed IgG reaction, there are foods and not necessarily just your gluten or your dairy or your corn or your soy, those big Mm -hmm. allergies, but people can have sensitivities to, like she said, garlic or onion or certain fruits or vegetables, again, cooked or uncooked. So you might be sensitive to a a raw potato, white potato, but you might be able to eat a cooked white potato. Mm -hmm. So I think in terms of getting really a grip on foods that you can eat and foods that you can't eat if you're struggling in this process, it's really a good thing to look and be able to say, okay, I can't have, if it's ginger or if it's roasted peanuts or whatever Mm -hmm. it is, Really being able to learn more about that,
1: and that's and I find that to be um, interesting that you mentioned even the ginger because there are certain foods that we read up on all the time um, that are you know constantly in different blogs or they're on um, social media and there's things like the superfood turmeric and everybody needs to be on turmeric and everybody should be you know consuming ginger if you have gut issues etc. cetera and you know i find it to be really interesting that some of these foods that are super healthy people will come back with sensitivities to it and they're like oh my gosh i've been chowing down on turmeric every day because i read up that it helps with digestive issues or it helps with inflammation and you know if you're that person that you're kind of stressed out because you're like i don't know what to eat i don't know what not to eat then, you know, it's really worth the investment to try to understand, you know, what is not working in my body right now. But more importantly, what is causing it? What is going on in your immune system? What is going on in your gut that is causing these issues in the first place? Because again, you're not doomed to your genetics to constantly have food allergies. You just have to figure out what the root cause is.
0: And I know we like to give our listeners kind of some tips and tricks to go home with. So why don't you explain maybe a little bit about how maybe people can do some testing of different foods on their own at home, whether it's gluten or dairy or some of these more obscure foods like certain fruits or vegetables.
1: Yeah, one of the things that we can um, attach to the podcast is our um, elimination list. There is um, a list of foods, and some of the things on there might be a little bit surprising um, because there is a group of vegetables that are considered nightshades, but they have known to be inflammatory in certain cases. Again, this is not everyone, but we can give you the full elimination list so you can take a look at it and really pick out the foods that you're like, oh, my gosh, I'm eating a ton of that. And what you would want to do is you would want to eliminate all of them And then you want to just consume, reintroduce one at a time, but you have to give yourself two to three days to see if you have a reaction. And the thing to understand about a reaction, again, this does not mean you're gonna get a scratchy throat or your throat's gonna close up or you're gonna kinda blow up like a blimp. It it doesn't mean that. If you, say, um, eliminate everything off the list and then you reintroduce the dairy and then you feel bloated, you get constipated, um, you you know, or you just skip a bowel movement, um, or you in, uh, go the other way and you have uh, loose bowel movements, or you maybe get some burping, or you get some indigestion or heartburn. And again, this could be within a couple hours, this could be within two days, three days. Three days is usually the max. You have to kind of just evaluate yourself, be really in tune with your body to see, am I having an issue with this food? Um, And that will give you a little bit more clarity because again, I hear it all the time. It's like, there's no rhyme or reason to what's bothering me. I ate a tomato today and I was fine. And I ate a tomato three days ago and I wasn't fine. And when I explain to people that they might be having a delayed onset to something completely different, it's like, okay, that makes a lot of sense. So You know, go through the list um, and then really look at the foods that you're uh, really consuming a lot of and, you know, try to do some experiments with them first. So eliminate all of it out. And then if you're like a big tomato person, you're having tomatoes on your salad every single day, then allow that to be introduced by itself with all of the other without all of the other foods on the list. And then just see how your body does with it over the course of uh, two to three days.
0: All right, great. So you can click the link attached to the podcast and we will send that over to you and we will talk to you next week. Have a great day. Thanks so much.